0: Welcome to the RS Technicast, where we bring you the latest in the world of computing, technology, science, and everything else in between. During each episode, a group of ARS staffers will dig deep into some of the issues we've covered on the site. We'll also talk about some of the other stuff we are doing when we're not circling the ARS orbiting headquarters. I'm your host, Senior Apple Editor Jackie Chang, and on this week's show, we have our staff writer, Andrew Cunningham. Hello. Lead developer, Lee Aylward. Hey, everybody. And social editor Cesar Torres.
1: Good afternoon.
0: So this week we are talking about The Hobbit, the film that was just released last weekend, um, December 14, 2012. Um, we're basically going to talk all kinds of spoilers in this episode. So if you haven't seen it or if you're ex- you know extremely spoiler phobic, um, you can probably stop listening now. Um, And for those of you catching up, uh, we're talking about The Hobbit, which is based on the book. And I think Cesar is going to give us a quick rundown um, of the plots.
1: Sure. Uh, Just in case you've missed everything that's been happening on planet Earth for the past couple of years, The the Hobbit uh, is finally out. And what this means is uh, you're seeing the prequel of Tolkien's trilogy of Lord of the Rings, which was a single book called The Hobbit, Uh, made into a movie, uh, which is actually three movies. They've taken what was a tiny book and made a trilogy. And so December 14th, which was last Friday, uh, the movie released. And this one is basically a third of the the story. And if you're not familiar with the story of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, um, the story centers around Middle-earth which is full of fantastical creatures and things called hobbits that are sort of like little dwarves, but not quite. And uh, it's full of very high fantasy tropes. So if you ever got into swashbuckling sword fights and dragons, it's all there. But what's important to remember about The Hobbit is that it originally was written as a children's book. And eventually, uh, Tolkien revised the book once Lord of the Rings was a bigger uh, part of his mythology, to make The Hobbit fit with that story a little better and to also kind of get things ready for what would happen in those films, which already exist. Those, those were made by Peter Jackson, and uh, this film is also a Peter Jackson uh, film. So uh, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, we are about to give you lots and lots of spoilers, so just beware.
0: Okay. So, um I guess we'll just jump right in. Who what did you guys think?
2: Uh well, I I really liked it. Um I don't know. I didn't have many expectations going in, and uh I was just enjoyed the whole thing from start to finish, even though it was like 3 hours long. I had no complaints at all when I came out of the theater. Then I read all the reviews and I started like developing some complaints, but <laughs> my initial reaction was very happy with it. So,
3: I'm kind of interested to hear how familiar everybody is with the book and with Tolkien in general. Like, is there anybody here who never read the books and just saw the Lord of the Rings films?
0: I wouldn't say that I've read them recently, but um, a long time ago I read them.
2: Okay. Cool. Yeah, I read yeah, them like in elementary, middle school, and then reread them, reread Lord of the Rings recently. But it's been a long time since I read The Hobbit.
1: I personally, in uh, high school, I remember being really turned off by all things Tolkien. And I, I, I was a nerd, but I actually thought I was too cool to even go there. So I avoided <laughs> anything Lord of the Rings for forever. And in my 20s, I read everything, like The Silmarillion, The Hobbit. Silmarillion, by the way, is uh, the grand mythology of everything that Tolkien uh, writes about, but I've read them all now, and I'm a huge, huge fan. I, I mean, I, I was chomping at the bit to see this movie forever.
3: Yeah, and I've I've been reading the books since I was like seven or eight, since I was almost too young to really understand everything that was going on in them. So, yeah, I'm I'm a Tolkien nerd from from childhood. But
0: so did you like it? I mean, how did you feel about the movie?
3: I was not in love with it, and. <laughs> It's not because it wasn't true to the material in the books, but um it's I mean it, it, there has been a lot made about the decision to split it up into three movies and I was willing to give Peter Jackson the benefit of the doubt based on what he had done with the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but there's just in this movie there's just so much padding, like there's so many chase scenes and so many battle sequences that they that feel like they go on like much much longer than they should that it it really it really doesn't justify the decision to make it into 3 3-hour three movies rather than say two movies.
2: But were you thinking that when you saw it or did you like I mean when no. I was <laughs> when I came out of the theater I was like oh that was awesome and then I and then I got home and after I like talked about it with people I started thinking that a little bit but when I was in there I was enjoying it. So,
3: in in uh. the theater I think sometime around like the second chase between the dwarves and the and the wolves which itself followed like a pretty lengthy chase sequence where the dwarves escaped from some orcs under, you know, underneath the misty mountains. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, you know, get on, get on with it already.
0: So Andrew, you basically said what I was thinking, um, except slightly different, but I, I felt like in terms of actually film, film wise, you know, not so much the story uh, you know, I think that it was good, but I, film wise, I just felt like there was so much happening and it was just going on forever now, the actual time was not that, you know, bothered to me, like three hours was fine. It was just that I felt like there were so many sequences of things happening that it was just, it was almost distracting. It was distracting from the overall kind of overarching story. Um, so I was not the most crazy about it, but um, but I enjoyed it as an entertainment thing.
3: That's another one of the things that I think it had issues with is one of the things that he's kind of doing to expand the runtime uh, Peter Jackson is doing is uh, not just taking stuff from The Hobbit itself, but also from other like, Tolkien-penned sources, like the appendices from The Lord of the Rings and some other like posthumously published notes and things, and kind of trying to incorporate that to expand the story and give it like a wider scope. But I, th- I think that with a lot of those scenes... Uh, like the dwarves battling the the goblins in Moria, and some of the stuff with the uh, you know the evil necromancer in the fortress in the woods. Um, it it kind of felt all, it like you said, like all over the place and a little disjointed because it's pooling material from so many different sources.
1: Well, I do want to mention that in terms of the screenwriting that's been done with with the the team of people that have worked on these movies, uh, they've they've basically adapted material that really wasn't movie-ready at all uh, through the ages. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I, the, the people doing this are obviously Peter Jackson, the filmmaker, uh, Philippa Boyens, Fran Walsh. They, these these people are, if you watch the DVD docu- um Commentary, they always talk about you know, how they restructured these books in order to make them very exciting movies. And in Lord of the Rings, if anybody is that familiar with them, you know not much happens in many, many parts of the book. There's just like kind of exposition after exposition, and you're sort of thinking, okay, what will actually happen next? And they reference a lot of the action as sort of an aside. What makes The Hobbit different is that that book really is more centered on action, but the story is so much simpler in The Hobbit. I mean, it's really that, as simple as saying, this person's going on an adventure for a few weeks. I mean, it's it's all <laughs> that's all it is. And what I noticed in the movie was that they really tried to make it fit with the vibe of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which is really epic. And here, like you said, they they really try to make you understand that this is all going to be tied to the War of the Ring and... The Hobbit book originally, when you read it, even now with some of the tiny revisions, there's, it, you, you don't get the sense that it's a book about a war. But in this case, they made a movie that feels very warlike, uh, And I didn't mind that. I really, really enjoyed the whole ride. I was glad that they stuck with a lot of the tone of Lord of the Rings, personally. Um, I didn't want to see something kind of dumbed down or made simpler. But th- those action sequences... I don't know about you guys. I mean, they were kind of like a little too crazy. Did anyone feel that?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely felt like a kid's action movie because it's like no one's actually really getting hurt during those action scenes and they're like falling like 20 th- stories or whatever. They're just like most ridiculous nonstop like combo chains and stuff. But I don't <laughs> I I don't know. If you think of it as a kid's action movie, it's it didn't seem too ridiculous, but they they definitely dragged on those scenes, some of them.
1: I also really got into the the hints about the the, the trilogy and the mythology of of Tolkien that they threw in there. I know it bothers some people, but I was like,
2: this is n-. like when they're at Rivendell or whatever.
1: Yeah, Rivendell, and you know, some of what is in the book, you do see it. They tell it to you out of order, like how the dwarves uh, were removed from their home and the dragon took over um and there's lots of oh, little yeah, bonuses that, about the like you know. the history stuff yeah. that was really good but um it's not for everybody
0: okay here's my other here's my other complaint about about this I and mean, this is when i'm going to start upsetting people i felt like the line I, I felt like the mm-hmm. lines were particularly campy i mean it's campier than i would expect <laughs> Um, and I, you know, I'm willing to acknowledge that this is kind of a kid's thing. So maybe they, it's written that way to be more obvious. But, um, the campiness of the, the delivery was a little bit irritating. And then also, um, the songs and I love singing in a movie as much as anyone else, (laughs) but, um, I don't know, I felt like that added to the campiness in a, in a way that I did not enjoy. I don't know if you guys,
2: but that that part was really true to the book, I think, wasn't it? Like the song stuff.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't mean they that doesn't mean they have to include it. <laughs> right. I mean, there's they
1: actually
3: yeah. they cut they cut a lot of songs, but the the first two with like the dwarves doing dishes and then again singing about the mountain, which I actually thought was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I
2: enjoyed it. I don't know. I guess yeah. something's wrong with me. I didn't I didn't have any complaints <laughs> about that. <laughs>
3: I guess in the books I don't really notice it anymore because I've read them so many times that I just flip through the
2: songs now. Yeah, you can totally but... <laughs> skim on them in the book, not so much in the movie.
1: Well, there's a few parts like that that if, if you are really into f- fantasy – Conventions, and I don't mean conventions where you go dress up in your cosplay, yeah. but I mean th- th- how the books work. <laughs> uh, there's always lots of poetry and uh, folk songs that are sung, and I've never been a fan of them. Even with Tolkien's books, I generally skip <laughs> a lot of that stuff because yeah. the, the writer has to be really great at. Well, yeah, you know. it's like
2: super hard to read a song because like, you don't know how the tune is supposed to be. Yeah. I thought it like worked better in the movie than in the books, probably. But I could see how people would want to just skip it entirely.
1: It, I did get a sense. Again, I loved it. I'm going to go see it three more times, probably. But th- there was <laughs> a sense. Really? Oh yeah, I'm 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 going you again. You loved and it again. that much? Yes, that's me. I I love I love the books. <laughs> I'm going one more time. I'm going three.
0: I'm not I'm not like suing anyone for my ticket or anything, but I probably would not go again. Uh,
1: I'm totally going because there's a lot I want to see and to see it on the big screen is, is the best. I, you know, at home, even with the best television, it's not quite the same as that giant screen in front of you. Um, But yeah, I got the sense that Peter Jackson this time, because he's been so successful with Lord of the Rings and he, somebody basically said here, you have pretty much a blank canvas to work with. There were moments where I thought, okay, you are running really far with this. You don't, You know, I wonder if he didn't have the cash from Lord of the Rings and the success, would he have made the same movie? And I don't think so. I think
2: it would have been shorter and tighter. Or two movies instead of three or something like that. Yeah.
3: And I think that happens to a lot of uh, writers. Like, I think the maybe people will get mad about this, too. But I, I think you can detect when the Harry Potter series goes bad by like when she got this huge wide ranging success and she got more complete creative control over the books and people stopped editing her. Like the thing that this movie needed more than anything was a really good, like judicious editor. And I think that it didn't have one because Jackson has so much clout now.
2: Yeah. It was like a director's cut, like straight to the theater. Yes. Like I would have liked to watch the the long version at home. That would be good. But they they could have done like a more theatrical release, like a more cut down version for sure.
3: Mm -hmm. Okay. Jackie, I'm interested to know uh, if you have any examples of lines that you thought were particularly campy. Because having just seen the movie and read the book, like within the last week, I want to see if the stuff you had the most issue with was the stuff that was pulled straight from the book or the stuff that Jackson made up.
0: So, of course, now that you're asking me this, I don't know that I could tell you exactly which which lines, but I wouldn't even necessarily say it was the lines themselves. I don't want to say predictable, but, I mean, I felt like it was just really campy. Just everything about it was how, like, the dialogue, the way way it was executed was campy.
2: A lot of critique I hear is that it's, like, cliche and stuff, but then it seems like people don't recognize that it, like, invented all the fantasy cliches. But, I mean, it doesn't excuse, like, campy lines in a movie, but just a lot of, like, the tropes that Cesar was talking about at the beginning, like, Hobbit started a lot of those, it seems like to me. Yeah. Yeah, I really did. I mean,
0: I, I'm willing to accept that. I'm not. Uh, I understand that some people like that stuff. <laughs> well, it's just
1: it's just hard because you, you you really think about what what the story at least originally was, and Bilbo is this really amazing character. He's a little shy, but he's uh, always smiling, and he is willing to uh, put himself into some adventure, uh, although he's hesitant. It it's very endearing, and in this, I. I also didn't feel like Bilbo comes through all the time. The story is meant to be his and they did so much and they kept it. So at that fantasy level of Lord of the Rings, that's why I think some of the um, dialogue doesn't work because the Lord of the Rings is really quite different. The tone is that like, you know, Oh, everything's serious because the ring is going to take over and here they don't even know that the ring exists yet, you know, or yeah.
0: Right, the styles don't match up, I think that's you've finally put a you know a finger on what I'm trying to say is that the style of the dialogue doesn't match so much with the style of the rest of the movie,
2: yeah, I think that makes sense,
3: yeah, and I mean part of that is the source material just because the hobbit it's it happened before so much of the like background world building stuff that Tolkien did later was like established, and it's and it's aimed to an audience that's much younger. So it's, you know, it's got a much narrower scope. It's a lot simpler in its language. And I mean, I think one of the things that the movie did well was kind of reconcile the tone of the Hobbit with the tone of the Lord of the Rings. But there are definitely places where that's, where that's not true, where they don't they succeed in that.
2: Or like apparently one of the scenes that he went back and wrote was that Gollum scene. Yes. And, uh, and I thought that was a really good scene and it it didn't like fully gel with the rest of the movie, but I really enjoyed that scene.
1: Well, that was another problem. Gollum is part of like the national psyche now. You know, people people love Gollum. I, I, there were people in the theater that were clapping when he came on, which oh,
2: yeah. people were definitely cracking up, laughing. Yeah, which I mean, it's kind of expected a little bit.
3: Yeah, I think that was probably my favorite scene in the movie, and I think they did they did a good job, like walking the balance between just shooting the scene directly as it happens in the book. Mm-hmm. And also integrating the movie version of Gollum, who's a little more over the top and a little more, like, overtly bipolar.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my God. Let's talk about Gollum's emotional issues. <laughs> <laughs> he has serious problems. Um, yes. but no, I, I mean, I like that I like that scene a lot, too. But I did feel like um, it was – I felt like it was very separated from the tone of the rest of the film.
2: Mm-hmm. Did you guys hear that apparently that scene they shot, like before anything else in the movie, they got uh, the guy who plays Gollum and then Bilbo together before they got the rest of the cast, and they spent like a week shooting it over and over again, I guess, which kind of explains... I mean, it felt pretty refined, like they were they had worked on it a lot. But well, I don't know, I thought that was kind of interesting. Well,
1: I think it just also resonates because I really think of the uh, the trilogy of movies, the, of Lord of the Rings, that performance of, of that creature or Andy Serkis playing the creature is just incredible. So you you see him mm-hmm. come back on and you you know that he's been working this character for many years and it's back. And uh I love that scene too. And it, that's one of my favorite parts of the Hobbit as well. That that when he finds the ring down there and the, the, riddles. the riddles in the dark. Yeah. Uh it's just so well done and um uh, I loved it. Now did you guys uh did any Andrew did you how did you feel about them introducing the other wizard it, it, so heavily into the story? Radagast. Mm-hmm.
3: Good old Radagast. The, the brown. <laughs> uh, um, if, if you're a big Tolkien reader, I, I think that having to put up with Radagast in this movie is your punishment for not having to put up with Tom Bombadil in the previous trilogy of movies. <laughs> yes, I agree. I thought the same thing. <laughs> but, um, I mean, he serves his purpose which is to kind of tie um the necromancer who is actually you know Sauron the whole time the main villain from the Lord of the Rings um it serves to tie him more fully into the narrative of the movie version and you know thus tie it more firmly to the rest of Middle Earth and the rest of the story but yeah i thought the character was a little he was just he was just played a little too broadly the whole the whole thing was just a, a, just a bit On the ridiculous side, I think.
1: I felt like they had to do that because they have two other wizards in the other films that are so serious and buttoned up that they wanted some sort of comic relief. But I started cringing, actually, when I saw the little sled with the rabbits i was like yeah, that was oh long, man this is like a pixar movie right now and he's like
2: trying to revive the hedgehogs and stuff <laughs> yeah.
1: but but oh, everybody yeah. there were giant spiders did you see that yeah that was pretty mm-hmm. cool i don't
2: know about the poop on his head that was distracting too. Yeah. i don't think that
3: was poop i think it was <laughs> like lichen
2: oh i thought I, it was I like bird was, poo I, yeah i, I thought
3: had it a, was bird poo because
2: <laughs> he had a bird's nest on his head i figured it was yeah, just like gross. you know, yeah i, I, argue, I
3: argued with With my girlfriend about this too because she too comes down on the poop side of this discussion but but, um you know Radagast is pretty out of it but I feel like he wouldn't just walk
2: around with poop on his face I think he might
3: I I thought he was becoming tree
1: like
2: (laughs) he was like burned out on mushrooms or something yeah
0: (laughs) I think he totally would walk around with poop on his face
2: and then they do like the smoking with like uh, Gandalf's pipe or whatever that was a little much too
3: Right, there's always that kind of suggestion that the pipe weed that Gandalf and the and the hobbits smoke is something. That's right, it's not a little white like marijuana, but it's Very not deaf. quite
2: tobacco either. <laughs> but that was over the top. He goes like cross eyed after it. It's like okay, yeah, <laughs> too much. I do like the I do like that
3: as an explanation of why Gandalf is so chill all the time, though.
2: Yeah, I think that works. <laughs>
0: In a fantasy film, you can get away with being vague about it. You can just be like, oh, it's a magical...
1: Magical herbs.
0: Magical <laughs> substance.
1: <laughs> yes. What is lovely is that it's in it's in the books, and then it does get introduced into the movies. I do like that. Because in, in the books, uh, somebody's always talking about the hobbits and their weed or mushrooms. You know, it's... <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway,
2: I don't even remember. Is Radigas in The Hobbit or is he in like uh, other books and he's brought into this book, into the movie?
1: He's mentioned
3: in The Hobbit and he's very, very briefly in um, The Fellowship of the Ring. Okay. I think. But he's not, I mean, he doesn't have a huge part in it. Wait, so does
2: he, I guess I'm like showing how stupid I am about The Hobbit that it's been so long, but does he live in Mirkwood before it gets like taken over by. Sauron well, the timeline of
3: of how that happens in the movie is a lot different from the timeline in the book. Like in the book, Sauron has been there.
2: Yeah, because I remember time. it being like Merkwood before the book started, or something. Right, like that.
3: and the, and the movie kind of makes it more contemporaneous with the events of the Hobbit. Yeah, but um, I, I I'm pretty sure I mean for all intents and purposes that Radagast just lives there and has lived there for as long as we need to need to know about.
2: Okay.
0: So some of you guys I think might have seen the new and awesome uh forty eight frames per second version of this movie. And I know César is like dying to talk about it. So um I, I did not. I saw like the normal version. But um how how you guys feel about the whole forty eight frames per second thing?
2: Um, I didn't really notice. I didn't I don't know if I saw it at forty eight frames per second or not. Maybe I would know if I did see it. But Did you see it in 2D or
3: 3D? Because I think that's. I saw it, I it in 3D. That's the line. Okay, yeah, I saw it in 2D because I'm a curmudgeon who hates change. So. I didn't have
2: a. Yeah, choice, you know me too. <laughs> I actually enjoyed the 3D. I usually don't, but I I didn't have a problem with it. So
0: basically, we all saw the. Or wait, Lee, you said you saw 3D.
2: So 3D is uh, the 24 frames per second. Then. 3D is 48. I believe, oh, okay. And
1: 2D yeah. is 24. Oh, really?
0: <laughs> wait a minute yes okay <laughs>
1: this is Expert. this is one of those movies where it's like uh you know building your own burger you have to choose the the right combo that works for you and i i looked all the different kinds that you could see so you can see regular 2d with digital projection and there is 3d with regular uh 24 frames per second and then on top of that you can choose 3d with the new projection at 48 frames per second but you can't get oh. you can't get regular projection unless you have the also the new um uh, uh 3D so it was quite complicated and i chose I, against sort of my will 48 frames per second because i knew we were going to talk about it and to me it it is very meaningful that this is happening with this particular movie
0: why
2: so did, wait do you see it in 48 frames per second in 3D then i did Sorry. yeah
1: Okay, so it was a big old screen uh 48 frames per second. There's no warning or anything about how it's going to be projected, you just see it. And mm-hmm. I have to tell you, within the first minute, I was like, Something's wrong, <laughs> something's wrong with this <laughs> because people were moving uh, sort of too fast. And mm-hmm. then, and then, the, there was an incredible sharpness to the screen. I don't know if it was the the technique of 48 frames per second, because you can get more information into each frame. But it looking like the sharpest I've ever seen a movie look. On the downside, this is when I got alarmed, it looks weird. It looks like the History Channel or BBC when they do the reenactments. You know what I'm <laughs> talking about? Like very... Uh, it's, yeah, Doctor it's, it's who like, like a, a soap op first opera. Oh, yeah. it looked just like that. It also, on the plus side, if you've been trained... If your eye has been trained by playing video games for a very long time, the movement of the everything on the screen is exactly like video games. And I,
2: yeah, I must have seen it in forty-eight frames per second because that's kind of how it felt to me. That
1: then then that's probably right. Maybe that you did see one that had uh,
2: that. It was in like a brand new theater, yeah, and it was like a, a pre-screening. So I feel like they would have chose like a forty-eight frames per second for
1: that. I really didn't. Enjoy the 48 frames per second, but I told myself halfway through the movie to just relax and kind of get into it. And I really will say that the plus of it is that you get this sharpness to the image that you've never seen before. And that was eye opening. But the way things move, it just makes you miss a regular movie. Yeah. Um, but I think probably if this is successful or these kinds of movies, continue this is going to be something we'll look back one day and and say remember the first movie that was really released widely in this format it was the hobbit because i think kids who watch this aren't going to care i swear to you they're not going to care well
2: the funny thing is like most people don't care that they don't like think to themselves like i'm going to see a 24 frames per second movie so i wonder if people are actually going to like think to themselves in 10 years like oh 48 frames per second or if they just get used to it like after a year or something like that or how that's going to work. Well,
3: I mean, if I wonder if you went up to a person on the street now, like an average person and asked them how many frames per second a movie is normally projected at, you know, if they yeah. would even be able to tell you
0: Yeah, no one would. Right? Know. Yeah.
2: Yeah. They're making a big deal out of it because you can tell the difference, but I think people will get used to it pretty quickly if it becomes like a regular thing.
1: Yeah, if you're a huge movie fan, I mean, it's something you notice right away and it, 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 it's so different, it almost hurts because you you go, something's wrong with, with the, my eyes or what's happening here. <laughs> but if you just sort of care about movies or you've watched a lot of television in high definition, it looks like that. Mm-hmm. It looks like a basketball game on a high definition TV, sort of. Well, that's
2: because a lot of those new TVs, they'll like add frames, they'll like interpolate extra frames in between, They they like... It's broadcasting, I think thirty about thirty frames per second, but they like up it to sixty on some of the new TVs, which is really weird. But
3: yeah, they do some weird smoothing thing. I, I remember and it's the watching, same effect. Yeah, yeah, I remember watching uh, the Pixar movie Up on one of those one time, and I couldn't figure out how to turn the smoothing off.
2: Yeah, there's usually <laughs> like a the theater thing, mode.
3: It just looked like it had been shot with little toys instead of with with CG. It really made a
1: huge and negative difference to how the movie looked. Yeah. I want to get the experience back of seeing The Hobbit in regular projection. So that's another reason why I'm going to see it again. But if you're curious about the technology part of it, I highly recommend spending the the money to go see it in this format. Because it, it's, I don't know, it it's something different. I've never seen something quite like it. I could see the pores on the actors' faces.
2: <laughs> yeah there are like 3D rendered pores. I, I was like curious how much of that movie was 3D. I couldn't it was so like the effects were so good. I couldn't really tell a lot of times.
1: Yeah, it was very surreal. I mean the the, the scenery and some of the nature shots, which I think are again in New Zealand. Uh I was just floored, I thought, ah, I feel like I'm there." Mhm. So, the Eagles so, though. So it sounds- I love the Eagles.
0: it sounds like you overall liked liked it sort of being sharp and and all that stuff right i mean most of this i've seen a lot of hate online for the what you described as you know looking like the bbc reenactions but um right but you liked it overall
1: uh definitely i would recommend seeing it that way it just uh i think it is kicking in a new era of technology for movies and i think you'd I mean, you don't have to love it, but I think you should be open-minded. And so once I relaxed about it, I was like, no, this is actually really interesting. And the person I was with um, had no idea. So he just thought it was really cool. He was like, oh, that looked incredible. But he doesn't know about like the difference in projection. So um, yeah, I thumbs up.
0: Okay. Maybe uh, I'll try and watch it again.
2: I just think a lot of it's about expectations so like – if your friend didn't know about that 48 frames for a second thing, it may not like stand out as much to him as like a, as an issue.
1: Well, do you guys remember back in the day when digital projection was being introduced and how controversial it was? I mean, Roger Ebert wrote these diatribes about how this was gonna possibly change everything or ruin the world. And now almost every theater that you go to it has digital projection and it looks incredible. And it's the world that we live in now. Like, I, I think uh, we get used to things really quick, but um, if you're the first one to catch it, you go, okay, something is different here.
3: I mean, I think it's 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 kind of analogous to the move from analog to digital in music. Like, there's a lot of resistance and there are there still are, you know, pockets of resistance among people who will only buy LPs or whatever. But um, ultimately, the increase in convenience is more worth it to most people than like the slight improvement in quality that you might get from analog, you know?
2: Yeah. They're still making like, supposedly like Neil Young has this new initiative with the higher bit rate audio. That's there's still stuff changing in the digital space for that. Mm -hmm. just improving the quality. I don't really notice it myself for audio stuff, but
3: I think at this point it's gotten, it's gotten, it's improved so much since like the, the very early days of CDs in the eighties that Mm -hmm. there's not as much of a difference anymore.
1: Yeah. Now, Andrew, can you talk about your, your post your, uh, for the blog on the site that you're working on regarding the Hobbit?
3: Um, most of it is kind of fleshing out stuff that we've touched on briefly here, but especially going into, um, changes that, that have been made to the book to kind of adapt it to the screen. Like one thing that I spend quite a bit of time on is changes, especially to Bilbo's character and like his arc. Cause if you, when you read the Hobbit, he goes through it's it, the book is both about like the physical journey from the Shire to the mountain and back again, but it's also about like Bilbo's mental transformation from kind of a timid, creature to kind of a minor hero in his in his own right and in the book a lot of that happens you know in his mind and in his internal monologue and it's it's a it's a slow burn like i don't think he gets overtly heroic until maybe two-thirds of the way through but um this movie was you know quick to put a sword in his hand and make him like awesome at sword fighting really really suddenly to kind of visualize
1: that transformation more uh, more firmly, I guess? I, I thought it was strange to, to do that as well, only because I get the sense in the other movies, Lord of the Rings, how tiny and sort of sometimes vulnerable the hobbits are. And it takes mm-hmm. them a while to actually become braver and fight a little bit more. So I, I don't know why they felt the, the need to rush through this because he does seem different. I mean, he's sort of not curmudgeonly, but he's he's a person that basically is a homebody. That's kind of what The Hobbit is about. They took a homebody, mm-hmm. and Gandalf, this weird friend that he has, shows up, and he says, no, you, got, you have to leave the house. You have to come do all this cool stuff with us. <laughs> and it's a lovely part of the book. I mean, if you're a child, you it encourages you to see the world and be open to, to new things. And here, again, I'll just stress it. I think they've just adapted it to turn it into a war movie. It's more like this person's already kind of in and let's get into this war like situation. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that because movies should be a little different than the books. But uh, if you have fond memories of the book, uh, you feel it, you know, it's a different Bilbo.
3: Yeah, definitely. Because they have to take a lot of the the transformation that happens internally and kind of externalize it to make it more obvious than a movie. And they've also, you know, when they decide to make three movies, they also kind of have to make each one kind of self-contained. Yeah. And I can see how his arc in this movie would be a lot less satisfactory if he was still kind of bumbling and timid at the end.
2: Yeah, that's what and, I was just thinking.
3: Yeah. So instead, they kind of gave him one little heroic stand at the end there to, to show how he's already changing. And it's I, I think it's consistent with the character, more or less you know allowing for the changes made in any, you know book to movie adaptation, but it's definitely, you know, much accelerated from what happens in the book.
2: Yeah, cuz he definitely, I mean they do bring him across as like a homebody at the beginning of the movie. I feel like that came across really strong to me. Um but yeah, the transformation is like really fast. <laughs> like halfway through the movie he's fighting people.
0: Um Oh, and they only made a couple references um, back throughout that, that he used to be like that. They they kind of only threw you a bone like once or twice about reminding you that he was like that originally, and he's going through this transformation.
1: Yeah, the, and just that relationship with Gandalf is so funny in the book. And uh, for anybody here who's interested in like all this trivia about The, the Hobbit and stuff, the, the cartoon version from a few decades back, the Ralph Bakshi ver- version, I believe, is uh, we'll provide links to this is a great thing to see because they're very true to the book but also Andrew you mentioned the internal dialogue that Bilbo has in that cartoon version you can hear Bilbo's thoughts as he's going through the cave and has all the adventures and it that's also what makes it really different that feels like the Bilbo from the book because you can get into his head and here it's just his dialogue you know but it was acted very well
3: Right. I mean, watching a character think to himself is not exactly gripping cinema. (laughs) Right. I'll I'll admit that. But I felt I yeah, I do kind of agree that his arc felt rushed a little bit. And I think that's partly because Bilbo is kind of shoved aside so much by like the action sequences and the other story threads that they're trying to pull in. Like Martin Freeman's performance was, I think, my favorite part
1: of the movie, but. He just wasn't in enough of it, you know? So the last thing I'll mention, it's actually a, a slight correction. It wasn't uh, Bakshi who did the Lord of the Rings cartoon adaptation, but it's actually Rankin and Bass. But uh, you, can, you can get this on Netflix, on the discs. It's, I highly recommend checking it out. And it's one movie. I, it's not a trilogy, so you could just see it <laughs> in 90 minutes. It's over.
2: It's just The Hobbit, right? Just The not Hobbit. Lord of the Rings. Right. Okay. Yeah, I've never seen that. I should definitely check it out. I've heard all about it. I've seen like screenshots from it, but never watched the whole thing.
1: Yeah, it really looks and feels like what you would expect. It, it's very cool. Yeah, I think it's, uh, let's see, from the 70s. So check it out. It's We'll put the link to Wikipedia. There's a lot of stuff people have written about this particular movie. Cool.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, I guess... Uh, since the opportunity seems right, we may as well wrap up since we're running out of time soon. Mm -hmm. Um, Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you, Andrew and Lee, uh, for being on and thanks for Cesar being on as always. And um, let us know what you think of our Hobbit discussion and if you violently disagree with anything we've said, um, I'm sure we'll all be arguing about it in the comments after it is posted. So let us know what you think. If you like the podcast or have feedback, uh, please feel free to let us know in the comments of this post, or you can leave a review on iTunes. If you uh, if you like the show, we really appreciate it.
3: Yeah. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye.
0: Bye.